Oh, oh yes, the map report? Yes, I've listened to them for years. And they still stink. I kid, I kid. But seriously, it's not very good. Let my home back in Omaha. See if I can make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita. Suddenly I wasn't sure anymore. Lost all my friends in Los Angeles. I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop back in Omaha Where the fans, they always crying out for Yeah. Alright, then if you're ready, then Welcome to Bep Report number 84 June 27, 2007 Greetings, welcome, hello Hi. Hello, sir. Normally, I, you know, I get this and everyone's like, yeah, woo, woo, or they're doing some, you know, weird, like, you know, random uh, collective soul thing in the background. This time everyone's just like, hi, hello, hello, welcome. Um, well, I'd like to thank everyone, welcome everyone right, to yeah. this, week in, this Week in Washington, and uh, hello and uh, hi and all that. And uh, we want to say thanks to everyone for listening, as always. <laughs> Um, if you haven't already done so, you should go to YouTube and look for uh, Russ's new video. It's not MEP Report related, but um, it is, um, it's about a secret that he has, and um, you can find out about the secret. If you do a search for secret and Rusty GB, right, Russ? Isn't that what it is? Rusty GB? You should be able to find something uh, that way. Yeah, the profile's RustyGB96. I mean, if you've seen any of our of our other report video. released videos you can just go to look for more from the same user and you'll be directed there okay i actually when my friend um he had been familiar with the secret and he thought we should spoof it and i wasn't sure it was a great idea because i hadn't heard of it and i since looking it up and reading about it well, i've been amazed a exactly uh, yeah, i would hope you, you wouldn't know about it, it. <laughs> It's like, how many of you have ever heard of the secret society of, of secretness? Uh, I have not. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, well, this secret is the number one DVD on Amazon. That blows my mind. That, you know, not Spider-Man 2 or some crazy popular Oceans movie. or It's, it's a self-help DVD written by a bunch of flim-flam artists about praying for stuff because you can't get stuff. This is the number one DVD on Amazon.com. I'd like to thank That's you for insane. that succinct description. It's it's about praying for stuff so you can get stuff. That is basically what the secret That's is about. It. I mean, the funny thing is, Pretty it's much. supposed to be the philosophy of life, but really it's just this entirely materialistic, hedonistic piece of garbage. It's just like, well, what should you want? You should want a new car. So you should think about your new car all day long, because that's what anyone would want if they wanted what they wanted. They want a new car. I'm like, <laughs> that's it? Don't, you're not going to pray for peace? or it's, it's the price is right, new ageism. Long life for just a new car? This is Absolutely. what you guys come up with? It's just, it's offensive. I see. Not only is it harmful, but it's also puts people into the wrong mindset. I don't know. That's just because you're and that's in the why wrong I mindset. It. Yeah, maybe I am. That's right. If you wanted to like it, you would. Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> why don't you just think that you <laughs> like it, more and then you'll be happy all the time. <laughs> exactly. It's actually like, very similar. I really feel like this is very similar to, you know, not to get too touchy on this, but 
to a lot of psychiatry and a lot of the perspective. It's just like, you shouldn't want things you don't have. You should want the life you have. And then you'll have the life you want. Bah! <laughs> it's like, what? They all speak so, with that accent, I'm too, by the way. Abu I'm an Abu Ghraib. Well, the, you know, the people in the secret do. So it's like, okay, I'm an Abu right. Ghraib. Instead of wanting to be out of Abu Ghraib, I should want to be in Abu Ghraib. And then look, I get what I want. It's like one half step above that theory. Well, you know, the funny thing is that... a land of bogusness. What annoys me about these things is that they always work the same way, which is that there's a basic level at which that makes sense. You know, that if you're constantly assuming the worst about everything and taking the worst from everything, then obviously the worst is going to seem to be what it is to you. The power of perception is very strong. But this takes that to such an absurd level that it just becomes like, clearly you would want this. If you're in a bad situation, it's really your fault. If you're in a lousy... I mean, that's the principle of Fish, right? That book that came out, where it's just like, if you're in a lousy job, you're in a lousy job, not because it's lousy, but because you think it's lousy. No, it's because it's lousy. It's right. because I'm, lousy. I'm working in a pile of yeah, manure exactly. and it's 750 <laughs> degrees. And it's no. like, no, it's not 750. Manure it's a pile of... as good as anything else. Exactly. It's exactly. a pile of gold. Exactly. So that's what's annoying is they take like legitimate psychiatric psychological principles, mix it up with pop culture. And then they also and if you guys notice this, they make it super, super easy. Everything then is it's really just about wanting it. If you really want it, it's like I want things. I want lots of things. I'll just want more of what I wanted before and then it'll be mine. Like yeah. and that that is that's what's annoying about this is it just takes something that might have some good ideas to it and then they make it into it's about what you want and everyone knows how to want things. We've been doing that since we were, you know, born. So then you can just go from there. I find that very and irritating. So ever since this thing has gotten huge, they've started to interview some of these quote unquote experts that give testimony in the DVD who are all, you know, failed businessmen, failed philosophers, <laughs> failed metaphysicians, scientists without I want degrees. It to fail. You know, it's just it's good. all over again. And when they ask yeah. them, and now the people know that they're not just spewing, you know, they're not just proselytizing, they're not preaching to the choir, they actually have to answer some critical questions, then they change their story. Then they feed you some tautological thing about, well, isn't it true that what you think most often construes what you do? I'm like, yeah, that's how you do things is you think of them and then you do them. That you're not revealing not anything. Not for everybody momentous. though, Russ. <laughs> for the 85%, there's not always a correlation between thinking and doing. I suppose. Sometimes they're right. just unaffiliated amoebic action. <laughs> so, you know, that is a revelation. What were you doing when you were future. doing that? Mm-hmm. What were you thinking about? Well, I was thinking about something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The response, secret is... So. There is the life beyond the reptilian brain. Exactly. Right. right. <laughs> the reptilian brain isn't all there is. Precisely. What? You mean Don't not fight or flight? <laughs> I can choose? No, fight or flight. What if I want to eat? Yes. Fight or flight. But I... Maybe. Do you want no. to fight? I want to flight. Then you do want to flight. And that's what you wanted in the first place. You win. You win at life. And this silly little tautological thing that they say when people ask them questions has nothing to do with the video. The video literally says if you sit down in your room and you do nothing but wish for something, then that something is going to show up on your door. Like the universe is Amazon.com. Except that you don't get charged right. on your credit card because it's the universe. Then you look and at the backers the of the video and it's all Amazon. And you're like, wait a minute, this all, all this is all starting to come together. Amazon's like, if we could make people think wait, the way to get something is if, to go through Amazon. The number one DVD on Amazon. The universe is Amazon. That must be why. Yeah. It's what the Amazon yeah, wore. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, one. the it's truth is rumpa. that the problem is. 
this is Ramtha plus Oprah, which is a very, very disturbing <laughs> yeah, beast. Exactly. Like, it's not a good combination. When you put the force of Oprah behind the idiocy of Ramtha, people get hurt. Is Did Oprah back this up, really? Or is, is, is she, did she put it on her book list she or something? Well, that's the, reason, that's the reason it's so popular. It's because she put it on her show. and She's like, you all need to see this. She put it in her book club which, you know, that makes something an automatic bestseller, and she got behind it, and that's why, you know, otherwise it's just another group of flim-flam I and just grifters imagine and nobodies. The discussion that she was having with the people when she decided to put it on her book club, she's like, I just have, there's no reason for it, I just have this overpowering will that is forcing me to put this on the book club. Where is it coming from? I don't know. It's just out there. Somebody's just <laughs> thinking really hard next to me. Put this on the book club, and, and there's nothing I can do. I'm powerless in the face of all of that thought. Uh, all of that positive thinking. It just overwhelms me. Is this how James Fry got on, too? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, I suppose so. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, it's, it's you know, that it actually that brings up a subject I was going to ask about in some other context some shows ago about Oprah's power, because I a few, I, I guess I want to say story. You might know this. Whether it was like last year or something, there was a guy who turned down mm-hmm. wanting to be on Oprah's book club. Like Oprah basically said, you know, we want to do it, and he was like, no. And it was this big controversy about why would you want that? And then really? he sort of, yeah. And then he sort of relented. Either either he turned it down or he went on it and then immediately fit, thought better of it and said maybe I shouldn't have. And the whole problem was that when he got approved, you know, by Oprah and he showed up, it meant number one that he was a guaranteed bestseller, but it also had the risk of, if you will, undercutting his street cred among the academic world <laughs> because they basically were like, well, you if right. Oprah likes you, then clearly you can't be. And I can't remember the guy's name, but it struck yeah. me like. Is the Oprah? What, for, well, I mean, first of all, I won't ask why it's so popular because it's Oprah. So, but I mean, what do we think about that? Like, if a story, if your book or my novel or something, you know, one of our books got got taken by Oprah, I have a feeling I would just be like, "Sure, Oprah, if you like it, that's that's good for me." Like, I have a feeling I wouldn't have any objection to Oprah approving of oh, my book. Yeah, I mean, but I think I wonder about that though because well, it is a I little. Mean, we have to say hang out with not, the secret, you know. I mean, but Greg, this is just, it's the same phenomenon. You didn't go to art school. You don't, you know, self-mutilate. You don't wear long, black, you know, turtlenecks. This is all true, but where is this leading? You you and I do not run in people who, you know, (laughs) are... You know, are just like too refined for the world. You yes, know, it's like too cool for school, literally. And yeah, you know, and it's just like I've never seen had any interest in being a part of that. I've always derided that of like you know the people who hate the Beatles because more than five people have heard of and listened to the Beatles. It's like there's nothing about you know taste. There's you know, and they try to make it the ultimate of taste because the Beatles were good when they were the whiz bangs. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> If the t- yeah, if your taste is arbitrary and inexplicable, then you have taste, and then that's you win. how they define yep. it. And exactly. you know, and you apply it to anything, and that's the exact same type of you know place that that person comes from. Is you know anyone who's an artist and doesn't want to be popular is really in the wrong business. Like anyone who is trying to produce something for an audience but doesn't want a full audience or as full an audience as possible is really not thinking clearly. Yes, you know. I so, agree with you. I agree with you. I you mean, know, I'm glad that you that, feel this way because I totally yeah. agree. I just wondered because I, I know that that, that was a big issue that when he brought said, that up. So, 
That being said, I don't think Oprah is going to come out and promote the new Stephen Hawking book anytime soon. You know, there's a very formulaic way that Oprah picks her books. They appeal to her on an emotional level. They are going to be widely accepted by her very extraordinarily average viewing audience. And anything (laughs) that would go over their heads is something that she's not going to go for. She's not going to challenge her audience. She's going to pick something that would relate to them on an emotional level that they like. The latest book that she chose, The Road, The Road was kind of challenging, I thought. But maybe I I will in a few seconds. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, I want to get that list in front because I think you're actually quite wrong about about the nature of the book club. Let's. Let's see, baby. Actually, there are a lot of Oprah's challenging books. books. I think you're right about the criteria. The criteria is she likes the books. That's you know, definitely which is true. A defined criteria. Yes. I don't that's think definitely that's, her there's cr- anything wrong with that. Right. I mean, okay. it's basically okay. like Sydney, the criteria Sydney Poitier's biography, The Measure of a Man. We have The Road by Cormac McCarthy. We have Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. Uh, Night by Eli Weasel. A Meal in Little Pieces, which was that book Ellie, that was supposedly a biography Eli, that was Eli, we, Ellie Wiesel, please. Eli, <laughs> Eli Wiesel. <laughs> Nazi hunter, author, and video. animal, Eli Wiesel. Survived the Nazi camp what so we it? could mispronounce Eddie, his name 50 Eddie years Wiesel? later. Yes. I mean, you not, know, not Wiesel. Anna Karenina. <laughs> Rust <Wiesel>. Waberman. <laughs> As I... As I like no, see, I mean, they would I pronounce my name, are... and they would say Guberman, because they wouldn't think that anyone would allow themselves to be called, because everyone changes their name to sound, you know, whatever they're not. I want to be not Jewish, so it's, no, it's Gubermain. No, well, it's Guberman. Right. I mean, it's but... freaking Weasel, and the guy on PBS last night on the Inca documentary, his name was Guillermo Cock, and he has to live with the fact that his name is Cock, and I'm I sorry, mean... but that's his name. <laughs> but, but, Russ, though, Koch, it's I mean, story's yeah. right, though. I mean, like, The Sound and the Fury is a brilliant book. So is 100 Years of Solitude. Like, I mean, this this is not. Yeah. These are not bad books. Cry the Beloved Country is a great book. I mean, so these, these are not. A William Faulkner kick. She did three Faulkner books. Well, what about yeah, what about Anna Cry Karenina. the Beloved Country? All right. So she likes some classics. <laughs> Yeah. I think I think you're wrong. I think you're off. I think Maybe I think that her criteria. <laughs> I think you're wrong. right about her criteria. Edwidge Nantikat's a good writer too. She likes it, but I don't think she really. I don't think she takes into account w- how people will receive it. I think she just assumes the best and hopes that they'll get it and you know moves on with the day. So yeah, the question you know, is not that. I mean, the question yeah. is it, the question is not you know you have to put Oprah wear Oprah gear and advertise things for Oprah and that you know that it's all total sellout thing. It's just a question of whether, as Story mm-hmm. said, the minute that you gain lots of popularity because Oprah says something, should you feel somehow vaguely guilty about that? And I agree with Story. The answer is no, but I do know that that's what that guy was objecting to. It might even have been. I think it was. Um, I think it was maybe two years ago, maybe three years ago. Uh, no, you know, it might have been Middlesex. It might have been Middlesex that was the novel that, that Eugenides yeah, was very worried about. And he was, like, not sure if he wanted to have it and all that. And I agree that I think that's a little pretentious. Because basically what that means, then, is that you're just going to be, like, that's writing for, for like, the, the 50 people that you feel comfortable liking your book. I mean, that, it is ridiculous. I agree. But that was a big issue that he brought up about how yeah. the fact that other people like it means that maybe, you know, it's not a great book, which is bizarre. But that, you know, I guess that's what his, his claim was. I would argue yeah. that she's got some committee, and the committee is making the decisions and telling her to read books. And the committee is telling her to, to pick three she Faulkner has, books? She has oversight, for sure. She has the oversight. Yeah, I do think that. Some committee was like, that, yo, you've got to check out deciding. We Were the Mulvaney's by Joyce Carol Oates. Yeah, 
You don't... Okay, Greg, you think that she's just stumbling upon all of these books at random? You don't think she has somebody perusing these things before? She so there was a committee that told her to choose three books by Bill Cosby? Three books in a row? No, I think that she has, like I said... For Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby and, like, personal friends of hers, that's a totally different criterion. She's going to pimp the books of her friends. Oh, obviously. she may have people but recommending like books that, to her, but I don't know about a committee. I mean, they probably recommend... She probably gets tons of, of people does. saying, like, check out my book, and she's like, uh, yes, no, I don't but know. Oprah's book club is like a cottage industry. It's not just Oprah. It's probably Oprah and a staff of, like, a thousand people who put that shit together. A thousand a people. A thousand people. Are a you thousand. out of your mind? A thousand a million. This is the richest it's woman Oprah. in the world. It's you don't think she's country. capable of reading a book herself? Come on. I think she could read a book. Come she's, on, Russ. She's also a, a very good Come actress, on. Russ. She's not a. No, no, she's no, no, very no, no. smart. She's There's not a, a clown. I mean, making me call Oprah illiterate and saying that given her <laughs> massive responsibility, that she doesn't run the Oprah book club by herself. Okay, let's hear the difference. Call her illiterate. But no, that's the thing, though. I mean, she's illiterate. Like, she <laughs> okay. cannot Yay! read the language. I mean, how hard is that? How hard is that? Gobbledygook to her. The phone a she just signs with an the X. Duties, Did you know that? The she incredibly said X and they tell her her name is Oprah. And they had to explain the incredibly that the Harpo company put her name backwards. She's like, really? I just thought it was the Harpo Marks. <laughs> the incredibly demanding duties of the Oprah Book Club include picking books. I know, seriously. Talking about them on her show. Yeah, like, like why okay? would a committee need to I do really this? I think she's just an influential person who's decided that people should be reading more and has said, let's start with books I like. I would do the same thing. Yeah. I think it's great. I think that's exactly what she's doing. And it requires a staff of one. And she reads regularly, and when she likes the books, she puts them on. And she goes on little streaks and kicks. I mean, exactly. it's exactly the way an individual would read books. Yep. It's exactly the way that human yep. beings individually exactly. read books. They go on little streaks and kicks. They get into something. They right. like it. And, they tell and their you're friends. right. I'm sure that and she, she built this entire website devoted specifically to the friends. book club. I'm sure she organizes all the press releases that the Oprah Well, no. Obviously, her company sure can do press staff, releases and stuff. But they're picking the But they're not picking the books for her. I mean, that's the difference, yeah, right? I, I, I mean, like for her. I think that I, I would argue. You know what? I don't think it's a black and white issue. I would say. I hope not. Let's not bring race to this, Russ. Jeez. Like filtered through by Honest the staff. To God. You know, and then however many she has that she wants to put in front, she puts in front. But the other ones are, you know, sorted through first, and then she gets the final look over. But that doesn't make any sense, because if you look at her list, it doesn't make any sense that the committee would be like, all right, now pick three things by William Faulkner, now pick five things by Bill Cosby, now pick... I mean, like, like, story's right. This is how people read. They read this way. They're like, you know what? I like Toni Morrison. Let me read five books by Toni Morrison. Let me... I don't want to read any Toni Morrison for a while. Let me read some random book. Oh, look, I'm in the bookstore, and uh, that sounds good. Let me look at that. House of Sand right. and Fog. I mean, you know, like, yeah. it doesn't take that long for her to find it. Because otherwise, what would the committee be judging it on? The committee's like, this time we must give to Oprah something which will make people think that she really likes Swiss Sidney Poitier no, a lot right now. It's like, simple. I don't... She would set up guidelines. She would be like, I, maybe I want my audience to ha- be better, you know, well-rounded, to have some sense of the classics and uh, things that women will like is the second criteria. Make sure they're very female-oriented and woman-oriented books. Uh, the road is not be, like that. Know, the road is a post-apocalyptic book that's not really pro, pro-female. God damn it! <laughs> Oprah's calling right now and saying, Russ, I do this myself, okay? This is my own thing. I do it myself. Yeah, exactly. Stop casting aspersions. Stop, stop casting aspersions on me. Yeah. No, I mean, no, like... Yeah. I mean, there's a difference on. between having... There's a difference between having a staff that, like, 
helps you with website coding and having a staff that tells you what the content of your show or website or club is. For example, the MEP report. content, and then, yes, someone else does it. Right, where we do everything at all times. Exactly. Where I do. Yes. Right. <laughs> On the website. No, but, like, because, I mean, like, some of this stuff, if you look right. at it, like, some of this stuff, too, some of it is, like, very classic stuff. Cry the Beloved Country is very classic. Heart is a Lonely Hunter, very classic. As I Lay Dying, William Faulkner, very classic. Some of this stuff, it, it's not like, like, Ellie Wiesel's Night needs more attention paid to it. Or, excuse me, Russ, uh, the book by Mr. Weasel. Sure. It's not like Mr. Weasel's book needs extra attention <laughs> paid to it, you know? And, like, look at, if you even look at the, look at the amounts, like, in 2004, she chose four books. In 2005, she chose four books. In 2006, she chose one. So, like, she even varies the amount of books that she has or sure. hasn't. You know, two books in 2002. She chose six yeah. books in 01. She re- it's very much, hey, I think this book is cool. I'm going to put it out there. And I'm sure there are books that she reads. Like, yep. Clea sometimes reads, like, trashy romance novels once in a while. And I'm sure that Oprah reads a couple of those and is not going to be like, you know what you really need to read? You really need to read <laughs> The Heart is a Torn Bodice by, by J.T. Franklin. Like, you know, she's not going to come up with things like that. She's going to give you stuff that has some theoretical literary value or something some artistic value but otherwise it's just stuff she likes and she's like you know i really like this book night which came out you know 20 years ago but i still think or 30 years ago but it's still great and i'm going to read it and put it on my book club so right you know and she's not always right by the way for example the good earth is not a particularly great book but that's okay she's allowed her off moments <laughs> um you know, so it totally depends. Yeah, I mean, she put some Steinbeck on there, too, right? I mean, Steinbeck's the worst writer in American <laughs> history, so... He's not you know, that bad, but makes mistakes. I agree he's overrated. That's true. <laughs> no, he is. I mean, and Cormac Sorry, McCarthy... I'm, I'm having a I mean, hard I only time read one. finding anti-Oprah propaganda on her website, so I'm going to have to look to other sources. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, anyway. I mean, well, so what would happen if we had, if, if this applied to other things? Because it's true, like, the minute you get a book club recommendation, you automatically become, you're just, immediately automatic bestseller is set into place. So I wonder if there's any other kind of cultural phenomenon that this could apply to. Like, if you had some, where somebody did that for, like, our podcast, and someone was like, you know what's a great podcast? The MEP Report. You had a podcast club, and immediately, like, 20,000 people would start listening tomorrow. Other than blowing up the web server, which would cause story no end of consternation. 20,000 people in this country listen to podcasts? I'm not sure there are. They would if Oprah, podcasts. What if Oprah did that? She's like, I found a great show convinced. lately, and it's called The Mep Report. You should check yeah. it out. All of a sudden, like, and, all these and people then are you like... you know what the next book club book would be? What's that? The next book club book would be How to Download Podcasts. <laughs> a tutorial. <laughs> because no one would have any idea what the hell that we were She's got about. a big responsibility, man. Yeah. She's got to be able to teach her audience about a bunch of stuff. You know, she's got to lead them into these things step by step. So... I don't know. I, Sorry, just reading about her on Wikipedia. Hang on. <laughs> I'm sure that's working out. So popularity uh, itself is not so the main concern. Yes. Apparently, she actually shut down the uh, the book club for a year and then reopened it with this new focus on classics, which is why all the Faulkner books were in there. So at some point, she decided that she should be educating her audience and completely changed the format of the book club. So that that alone proves the fact that it wasn't just what she randomly liked. Like, she actually has an agenda, or she plus staff, sure. or just she has an agenda in moving the book club forward. So that part is true, that it's not just what she's wandering around to. Otherwise, right. I'm, right. I'm sure, sure she didn't stop reading for a year. But the whole point, the whole time, has been to get people to read. You know, that's from the beginning. And so then it's like, now that people are reading, let's get them oh, reading Oh, you make it classics. sound so noble. Blah. So, they don't it read. It is noble. They 
They just play the VCR I, tapes a, and watch it in a man. split screen with the Oprah Winfrey show. That's See, all they do. but here's an example. I just went I'm, to this website called the uh, Two Walls Webzine, and it was done in 2002 before she went to this this new classics model, so I don't know. But it's called the Anti-Oprah Book Club, and it's a challenge to mediocrity and short attention spans. Now, I'm sorry. If you read some of the books that she was talking about, I think Toni Morrison may be overrated in some cases. I think you'd have a hard time claiming that Toni Morrison is mediocre or plays to a short attention span audience. I think that's just ridiculous. And, and you know, making the claim that just because Oprah said it was good, or because Oprah said she liked it, that means automatically it's a mediocre short attention span book. That's that kind of irritating, you know, sort of, as Story said, the black turtleneck yeah. cocktail party going crowd that I find very right. obnoxious. Exactly. And it's kind of the opposite, in a way, of what art should be about, which is communication. This just goes to the opposite of that. It's like, no, the more people who like it, the more it must be bad, and you must you must go off and be heard by nobody except your small cadre of friends. Like, No. So that's I don't know, you know, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think that the number one quality of art is that it should be accessible. I think that it should be No, I'm not saying it should be either. Artist, but I'm really saying if it but if it is ex- important quality that it has. Uh, but if it is if accessible, it's not accessible Russ, because the artist is an outsider, then that's, you know, you have to deal with it. You don't have to like uh, it, but I don't think that you should No, but that's not the point not though. The same level of artist just because they're not as accessible. No, that's not the point though. If the, but if the, the what the argument that's being made here is if it is accessible, it's bad. And I'm disagreeing with that on face. I don't think the fact that it is accessible right. makes it something bad on face. Why? I think that you can make the argument that something which is accessible also, is good or bad on its own merits, but not because it's accessible or not accessible. The argument here doesn't even have to pertain to accessibility, though. It's an issue of, literally, is it widely distributed, which has nothing to do with That's the accessibility true. of reading or gaining communication or meaning from the art. The guy is arguing against being widely distributed because things which tend to be widely distributed may be more accessible than he wants his reputation to be. That is ridiculous. That is crap. Okay, that's fair. Okay? Sure, it I'm can not be just as that. inaccessible as he wants. Yeah, and that's you know that's what I think is so objectionable about this is him turning up his nose and even having wide distribution. It's not like the Sound and the Fury becomes more accessible because you stamp Oprah's Book Club on it because and then have the exact well then exactly because I guarantee a bunch of people because I guarantee a bunch of people went to that book and were like flop? what the heck is going on with this book because that's not an easy read. <laughs> so that kind of guy would prefer that, you know, Oprah's book club picks yeah. it up and everyone hates it because it's not accessible to them. So it's widespread, but yet they don't understand it because right. he's writing at a level that they don't, you know, they can't conceptualize. But see, I guess, I guess the that point is, yeah. when you make accessibility kind of a bad, or I should say in this case, inaccessibility a badge of honor, I mean, it's like some of the academic articles that we've talked about in the past, I feel, do this, where they write stuff in such incredibly obscure, obtuse, impossible to listen, you know, understand jargon, and, you know, and then you read it and you're like, like, you know, well, it must be intelligent because it makes no freaking sense. I mean, like, that's not, you know, the fact that it's that it's able to be understood or that people can recognize it doesn't make it a less or, or more valuable book. It just, it just, it has nothing to do with that subject. There are books which are inaccessible, like, for example, The Sound and the Fury, to a degree, or even a book like um, Ulysses. You know, Ulysses came out, and a lot of people are like, what the heck is this book about? That's not a book you're going to, you know, pick up and, you know, read at the beach for a couple hours. I mean, that takes a long time to read, but it's a great, great masterpiece. So, I mean, on the other hand, there are other books which are clearly more accessible. You dumber when you're reading at the beach? Well, you know, people who grab, like, this this sort of thing of, of summer reading. But that is true. I've seen people go, God, 
There's sad. Salt in the <laughs> exactly. No, but like, but oh, I mean, I like you know, go too. I think accessibility sad. is just sort of to the side sad. of the issue, whether oh, it's God. whether it's relevant or. I think whether it's accessible or not is really not relevant to the discussion. Here, the argument seems to be, yeah. well, it's popular, and that means it can't be good. I don't see why. I think that's silly. It might be good. It right. might not be good. And that's what drives me now. So, amen. Does that mean then? that it, there's something wrong with an artist who specifically tailors his work to a small audience. No, but I think if an artist tailors a work which gets accepted by a large audience, that didn't make the art worse because lots of people enjoyed it and found yeah. value in it. Well, that, wait, what if he feels like he failed? What if he, he, sh- well, he shouldn't was to touch he get a off the beach. small <laughs> portion of people, and he failed to do that because other people picked it up and thought it was interesting too, and so he goes back to try to you know recapture what he couldn't accomplish the first time. Okay, and he's upset. Can you explain to me like a why? Explain to me a rational reason for wanting to only affect a small quotient of people. Like, I definitely think there's a reason to want to affect a small, specific quotient of people. For example, they are the U.S. Congress or the royalty of a country. And you want to influence them because they make all the decisions in society. But in what world would you rationally want to only, only influence a small group and not other people? Okay. You write a book in the, from the school of Malthus, of Thomas Malthus, that tries to encourage okay. women who have more than five children to kill themselves in the interest of preserving a low population so that we don't all overpopulate and die. And you don't want those arguments speaking okay. out to other people because you don't want them to kill themselves because, you know, you could be responsible for some giant well, wait, epidemic couldn't you very clearly you say intend, this only applies to, to pregnant women it. with five children? Like, is someone going to read this and sure. be like, oh, and then they're like, oh, it what said the, women. And then uh, Oprah's uh, book club picks it up and it's like, oh, it's brilliant. And he says that we should kill ourselves. And but it doesn't that say that, though. Under but it doesn't say that, though. <laughs> According to you, it says if you're a pregnant woman with five kids, kill yourself, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Do they, it like, sounds like a pretty inarticulate point. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> story. Yeah. Exactly. I, I gotta <laughs> say. It's like his hand slipped. He's like, you should kill yourself if you're, oh, oh, oh never mind. I'll just let that go. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, because he did it. He acted on his own. He's like, oh, this is a convincing book. Exa- Slam. Exactly. Oh, shit, I didn't finish it. Oh, oh well. I can't go At back. least Oprah will enjoy <laughs> it. Or you know? I mean, come on. Here's a slightly I, less I, evil I, I'm example. I'm not buying it. But I'm giving you the red similarly egg. similarly as evil. <sighs> Let's say okay. you are a commodities broker, and you've just figured okay. out a, a computer broker. formula You've, you're a commodities broker, and, you've, and you're also a genius computer programmer while you're at it. And you've sure. figured out a method for charting and predicting the market. And you've beaten it. Okay. And you figured it out, and you know what the market right. will do. So you write a pamphlet. Okay. You make a few copies. You give it to your friends right. because you want them to be successful. And okay. it would be really horrible if it were widespread because then everyone would get your secret. Nobody would make right. any money. Yes, but this is not... That's a, okay, that's a, a how-to, for one thing. That's like saying, that's like saying <laughs> you write a confessional letter to your wife on your deathbed that admits to all these terrible things that you wanted that you did, and then it would be terrible if Oprah's book club picked up your <laughs> Oprah's like, I recently read this great confessional right? letter. I mean, Check it out. The definition of a book... <laughs> Sort of presupposes a wider audience than people you personally know. Exactly. If you're only writing for people you personally know for their personal benefit or gain, 
that's a totally categorically different thing. See, that, I okay. mean, yes, ready? Like, I have another example. What if you write go, a torrid, <laughs> a torrid, passionate love letter to your lover, but other people get it, and it's just addressed to dearest you, and then they'll yeah. interpret it and think that you love them but, too. But, but, but in mean, Russ's theory, you accidentally. But in Russ's theory, you accidentally wrote this in book manuscript form. You're like, oh wait, yeah, I just typed exactly. it out as 130,000 like, words. I bet it'd just I be a regular this letter. To my lover or Houghton Mifflin? Oh. Like, are you serious? Okay, ready next what? example. Let's say oh, God. that you work uh, in a facility uh, that deals with psychologically damaged children. Oh boy! Just randomly. And I let's do. Say this is oh the case. yeah, I used to do this. <laughs> right. I actually used to do this. This is actually true. And let's true. say, okay, you are so profoundly affected by the behavior of these children and you witness some really sure. horrible violent acts that you read you a book witness, let's say death and accidentally you sent it to a public being killed suicide no, exactly <laughs> but other people see and it so, and they are influenced <laughs> sorry and further you're able to diagnose that there's a specific type of child that has a specific type of disorder that is incurable okay. you know uh, recidivist there's nothing that you can do so right. you write a little fictional story for him and you write it okay. with the expressed purpose of tricking him into having some horrible association anytime that he picks up a sharp object that he would rather okay. jam it into his eye into his neck right. than use it for its express purpose which is to jam and it into his neck subtext wait a minute wait a minute story. <laughs> he would this rather kill himself than kill himself because I'm a little confused. presumably people children in the future are going to need to use tools and not want to plunge it into their necks but for right. this small tailored group of okay. people it okay. actually would be beneficial for that I, I love the power of this hypothetical so common with it. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, we're into Branzel's world, and I'm on a conveyor belt eating birds again. But more to the point, you're going to need to come up with an example where one stranger is part of the target audience, at least one stranger, because right now you're still in the world of personal correspondence to known people. No, I'm just talking about, you know, you've diagnosed this disorder, so anyone with these symptoms falls under the person you're trying to target. Uh, I... I... I just don't, yeah, but, but... And you can't write a pamphlet that says, Little Evil Child, Kill Yourself, because that's not going to work. So you have to work it into a fictional story about how, and then the child found that the tree had turned to evil because you touched it, and you were wrong in all sorts of ways, and you need to kill yourself. That's the short version. Wait, wait. <laughs> like, I, I thought this to the be point of it was not to kill themselves. Know, no, you want them to kill themselves if they're about to do some, some horrible, violent act. So you would rather that they remove oh, themselves. So what, the oh, wait, 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 wait. So what you've decided is you've diagnosed this disorder, and the way that you treat it is by giving them a story that is essentially the built-in suicide. suicide. That you are a tremendous right. doctor, my yeah. friend. You, you are a good man. Yeah. I think Mr. Weasel would have something to say about you. You should talk to Mr. Weasel about this. I think he'd be a big fan. I never That's said you're a doctor. Footnote. Because the Hippocratic Oath yeah. is uh, first, do no harm. Second, do not be a serial killer. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's the other the symbol. Second. The snake. Nobody ever gets to second. Exactly. The snake is actually in the second picture, biting off of the Look, stick. Whatever. You know, the snakes. Yeah. You're a utilitarian counselor. Okay. okay? You're not a doctor. Fine. Okay. So you're Russ, Russ Cooperman, but you're a freak. You 
I'm going to go out on a crazy limb and ask you to show me an example that also does not induce suicide. Okay? It has to be aimed to a stranger and does not have the power of inducing suicide because this is not... I don't think any book okay. has ever been written to induce suicide. How about this? You write a book, you are the most talented horror writer of all time, and you found okay. that your book King. is read by people with an IQ below 120, Stephen then King. their head yeah. explodes. Um. <laughs> so now, Russ has just decided no, to abandon really. any oh, legitimate okay. thing. Russ is all right, forget like, their head explodes. Let's say you they touch the book they and you burst into flames. They cease, they cease to become a functional member of society because they hide under their bed for the rest of their life. They're so scared of what you've written. Russ, you've just become L. Ron Hubbard. Have access to this. L. Ron Hubbard claimed he wrote a book like this, that people would die upon reading it. Is that really the yeah. person you're going and to now? Yeah. Python wrote a joke that killed exactly. people. Exactly. I think both of these are plausible. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, so how about that? <laughs> how about that? Yes, yeah, sorry. How about that? How, how, well, let me know if you need any help. I'll just sit back and listen. Uh, well, You're an artist. You're specifically tailoring it. It would be I horrible think, for it to become I mean, widespread. Then, I mean, this is like saying that, you know, you write some graphic sexual novel and it shouldn't be exposed to children, right? It's a similar type of argument. You generally put, you know, warnings or labels or something like that on media like this that says, you know, should not be exposed to people of a certain fragile nature. I would even argue that you could apply that argument to all of your suicide things, too, of saying, like, you know, but it's not like you don't want a wider audience. It's just there are certain specific people who are likely to come to harm if they have contact with it. That doesn't mean that you wouldn't want every other person who's not in that specific group to, you know... Also, I would say... ...have access to it. And I would also say, leaving aside things like, you know, how-to books and things like that, which is more of what you're talking about, if you're talking about an artistic book, and this is one of the reasons, I think we've talked about this before, that truly, you know, people always talked about, you know, you defend the First Amendment and you defend the right to free speech and you defend the right to free expression, and people always say, but that would allow you to say, to have really terrible things written, and what if they became extremely influential, and what if there were these great works of art that were also really terrible things? The truth is that most great works of art are cannot at the same time be hideously offensive in every respect. And the reason for that is because if they were hideously offensive in every respect, then they have a significant agenda which keeps them from being great works of art. Right? Like, if you have a great work of art, it's partly great because it can appeal to people on a number of levels. Even if it's got a political message, if all there is is a political message, like Hitler writes another book, right? Like he had written Mein Kampf, so he wrote Mein Kampf the sequel. And everything in my is about, you know, you should kill Jews, and you should, you should have gas chambers, and you should do all these things. That becomes a screed, you know? It becomes a diatribe. It doesn't become a work of art. And it's very difficult to write a work of art in which you're truly trying for artistic communication, and also make it something where you're political political anti-whatever screed is going to get through. So art, in a way, is kind of immune from those effects. Doesn't mean that what you can't... Ayn Rand? Well, I was, I was just thinking about her as I was talking about it, but I would say, people story... People always say that, Ayn Rand is so, you know, that, like, aesthetically she's so great. And people who hate her, her ideas are like, but she's such a brilliant writer aesthetically. And I'm like... But yeah. I, would, I would say, though, about... I was thinking about Ayn Rand, but, actually, know, story. do make these arguments. I agree with you. Yeah. I, but I would say the difference there may be that when you read Ayn Rand, that your, your reaction is often, you know, wow, this is a really well-written book. I totally disagree with whatever message she's ultimately getting at, right? That the amount of people who are going to read it and be influenced by the book who didn't already have predilections to be influenced that way, let's say, and then at the same time are like, this is a great work of art, and 
because it's a great work of art. Oh, I'm a zombie, must do whatever she says. You know, like that that doesn't people can observe the work of art and not necessarily agree with the political persuasion of the person behind the work of art. I would say this happens all the time with comedians, right? Like if you watch a really they good can. It, they can, it's but it's, it's it's yeah, it's hard. Like if you watch a comedian, oftentimes you can talk about it. The comedian's good. You can admire. Like for example, I've talked to a lot of people who are conservatives who like John Stewart. Leave aside whether you think John Stewart's good anymore, Russ, but I think he's still good. But they liked John Stewart. And they look at John Stewart and they say, they can say, you know, John Stewart's really funny. I totally disagree with him politically, but he's really funny. Because on a certain level, what he does works on the level of humor slash art before it gets to the point of being super political, biased, do, watch this, and then, you know, come to think a certain way. And that's really the difference. Art, in a way, supersedes these things. It's not impossible, as Story says, but it's very difficult to produce something which is truly art, which is truly artistic, and at the same time has some enormously deleterious message, which you know immediately will destroy people upon reading or seeing or viewing or whatever. Okay, how about this? Here's one more. You are a very, <laughs> very talented graphics computer graphics designer. Okay. And your story. You also okay. your story. to be a fantasy fiction author. And you're Greg. Your story and okay. Greg. Story and Greg. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a fantasy okay. fiction author who is a talented graphics designer. Okay. In your spare time, okay. by, and which you have a lot of, Because <laughs> there's a lot, you right? <laughs> right, several hundred that, hours. None of those things take time. Right, exactly. Yes. Developing this, this thing that we know uh, to be called an MMORPG, okay? <laughs> I knew and this, this is where it was going. <laughs> Yes, MMORPG. Yes, that you create. Yes, is so enveloping and so amazing so that when you show not your even friends, God could quit it. Your right. friends yes. want to play. They quit their jobs. They leave their girlfriends. Right. They stop eating. They simply want to play your game and live in your game. Right. And you realize that while yes. you've absolutely created, in some terms, a work of art, it would be extraordinarily bad for it to be accessible to a wider audience. Right. Okay, How about that? but in what situation would I pursue publishing this at all? I wouldn't publish it. I would burn it. No, I, I would uh, bury it in a field. Story, you wouldn't do that. You'd just be playing it. <laughs> You'd be like, do you want to publish it? Hell no, I'm playing my game. It's a work of right. art. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm level 1,000. <laughs> I made exactly. the game. I'm God. I'm the greatest world ever created. Exactly. <laughs> it's really empty, though. Nobody else is here. Uh, <laughs> Let me go back and play. No, I mean... Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I think the problem here... And what if... <laughs> yeah, go ahead. What if... As a social experiment, you decide that maybe it would improve the lives of people to live in your world instead of living in the real world where they have to live with depression and but here we go. You know, not living up to expectations. And so you, you want to invite, let's say, 100 people as an experiment, but you know if it were widespread, it would be something that would get out of control. But here's where I disagree, and I think Story will back me up on this one. Here's where I don't think this idea works. For your game, for the game in this hypothetical, to be as completely successful and completely all-encompassing, and it's the greatest thing ever and so appealing is you suggest. It implies a basic knowledge of social conditions of people out in the world. To get your friends who are normal, uh -huh. regularly socially adjusted people to say, wow, this game is better than anything exists in the real world right now. You need to know the kinds of things that would appeal to your friend, assuming your friends are not already 
halfway towards being addicted to these kinds of things anyway, Russ. <coughs> um, like, assume that you're just sort of uh-huh. a normal person. You don't have this issue. <laughs> to do this, you would have to have a knowledge of what would make them tick, a knowledge of what would be most appealing to them. And part of what, and I'm finishing up this, this point, part of what's appealing to them is the fact that, let's say in my case, you would need to somehow make a game which would take account of the fact that I love social contact, that I love eating out in restaurants, that I love playing board games with people, I love playing tennis, I love playing basketball, I love, you know, I love, you know, going to see, visit friends, and I, you would need to take all of that into account, or the game wouldn't have this all-encompassing thing that you claim. So in other words, to be as successful as you'd want it to be, you would need to know what it is about the, your no, friends that would keep them Greg, from liking the game. I don't think it's that far of a stretch. I mean, there are games that exist right now that cause people in Korea to die because they play, you know, five and six days. Yes, because there are some addictive personality people. But there are people that you can put that game in front of, and they'll play for a stretch uh, to say. If you make it that much better, you can get this much more of the population to be completely devoted to it and not want to do That's anything That's not else. true, because if that were true, you'd have everyone in the population doing nothing but watching television 24 hours a day, and that's clearly not the case. You have a lot of people who, like, for example, like books. No, because television is passive. The difference between television and morphs is television is passive, okay. and morphs are interactive. So then, say, video games. Big difference. But, there are a lo- but there are MMORPGs which have been out for a long time, and for the people that die in Korea, there are, you know, literally 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 times as many people who see it and they're like oh this is cool and they play for a couple hours and they put it aside and they go do whatever else they're going to do what if all of that is just what if all that's just imperfection in design it's just they haven't perfected it yet but as I'm saying the only way to perfect it would be to have a basic knowledge of people that would cause you not to be able to affect them in that way like you'd you'd have to have the knowledge that somebody at some point when you plug yourself into a machine and you feel the sensory things that people feel when they go outside okay okay well if you figure out a way to in our spare time a couple hundred hours I think is what you said Russ in our couple hundred hours to design the equivalent of the matrix I mean then I guess we'll have to figure out how to handle this, but I'm suspecting it's going to take a while to design the Matrix, I mean, to be honest with you. I mean, You might also just trip over it. Like, you might be able to design something that great, or you might discover it. Like, cocaine, you know, crack cocaine has a similar effect. As, you but know, lots of people don't do crack cocaine, even when it's put in front but of them, though. Lots of people don't, but most people who try crack cocaine end up living their life obsessed with Yeah, but, lots, yeah, so, but most people know, don't try it, though. They don't, even if they're given the yeah. opportunity, they don't try it. Like, wouldn't, well, wouldn't people just avoid it? That's the issue, is if you have crack cocaine, should you publish it? <laughs> I mean, that's the argument. <laughs> but, like, lots of people wouldn't choose to buy it, It didn't take a, a superhuman knowledge of what makes humans tick to invent crack cocaine. It took, like, some chemicals and a basic understanding of how Yeah, but I, don't, but I don't accept yeah. that premise, because you know, lots of people, as I say, don't t- try the crack cocaine. You're when you are not an addictive personality. Yeah, but there's lots of people who aren't, right. though, is my I point. Right. It's I mean, just, like so. It's just a failure of advertising, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, it's clearly they just haven't marketed it to me right. Right. If they could somehow be like, no, Greg, crack that's cocaine correct. doesn't addict you. All right, then I'll just stick some it's, in my veins. That's exactly right. No, and in fact, all of the anti-drug messages and education that you've gotten has been an even more, you know, damaging to the marketing campaign for crack cocaine, which doesn't really exist to begin with. So yeah, without all that information, with the opposite information, like this is like a vitamin and you need this, and oh by the way not only is it good for you but it makes you feel great and you feel really really crappy when you don't have it but see now you're going beyond the basic level though russ now you've gone beyond the level of just you know i put it out there and see what people say and now you've decided to actively lie she 
meat, steel, mark. <laughs> I know, but that's the point. <laughs> this is exactly the point I'm making. That is the quotable of the day. Cocaine is not art, and art is not cocaine. Thank but you. The MMORPG story. That's the title of this episode. Art, I think that you cocaine, could, not art. Okay. You could easily design cocaine, it not such art. that people uh, would give up their lives for it, and it is a work of art. But <laughs> See, but the people who think that are already cocaine addicts. I, I, I just like I understand what you're getting at. I just don't think that I think you're leaving aside the fact that there are a number. Well, well, let me give you. An, I, you know what, Greg? To to meet this hypothetical, I don't have to prove that every person in the world is going to die if this thing comes out. I just have to prove that as the artist, I would rather have a specifically tailored audience. <laughs> that this is available to and not widespread and it would be really bad if it were more widespread. But I don't so we don't have yeah. to say everyone has to do it. We just say widespread is bad. But I don't think I don't even agree with that. Tailored. Like like take take the MOR take the example we used before. Now I happen to know a couple people who worked on the World of Warcraft game, right? And a lot of them were extremely proud of the game that they put forward. Now I'm sure they know, they've seen the statistics of the people who can get addicted to games like that. But the truth is that they put it out there, their attitude was not, you know, I need to make sure because of the dangers to people who have already addictive personalities that I not be the thing that they get addicted to because like basically where does this end Russ like right say that I produce you know I hope no, to become their motivation was that they want money let's say that I become a full-time writer right like, or, or let's say I become a, let's say I become uh -huh. a full-time musician right and I start putting out albums like there's no tomorrow and everyone's like oh the road the road is the greatest but we need more album you yeah, blah and I'm putting the albums out there at that point am I thinking to myself that I'm producing art which is not self-consciously intended to make people addicted to my art it's just art that's out there right if i'm putting art out there yeah it, should i in some ways feel like my art my songs my music is so powerful that i have a responsibility not to release it to the public because there are some disturbed people who have a tendency to look for any weapon they can find whether it be gun crack cocaine well, pamphlet on how to kill yourself with a sharp object or album that could honestly, cause damage Greg? to themselves i mean no Honestly, like if you're if you're Judas Priest and then a bunch of teenagers start killing themselves because they're listening to your lyrics, maybe you do have to start thinking about that. Ah, uh, I mean, if, if Judas Priest is producing, well, I think it depends. If Judas Priest is producing lyrics that say "Kill yourself now, you are pieces of crap. Kill yourself, you are teenagers that are my age group. Kill yourself, <laughs> kill yourself," then yes, I think you're probably being irresponsible. But I'd also say that's not good art. If you're producing songs that talk about, let me give you an example because this just came up today actually. So there's a group called Porcupine Tree, which is a progressive group out of England, and they just released this album called Fear of a Blank Planet, haha, <laughs> joke towards Public Enemy, um, and it's basically about the disaffection of kids in today's li today's world and how everyone's, you know, high on some kind of, you know, prescription drug and they're all stoned and walking around malls and it's all very depressing, right? But there's this song, which is called right. Sentimental, which is a really excellent song. If you haven't listened to it, I suggest you do. It's a cool song. And in the song, they talk about how they, they basically tell it from the perspective of one of these sort of zombied out kids, where it's like, and the lyrics are like, I don't want to be old. Uh, I don't want dependence. Um, I don't want to be told that I can't blame my parents anymore. You know, I'm stoned at the mall. I'm living my life. You know, it's basically one of those things. Now, they put that out there in part to sort of okay. reflect the disaffection of, you know, the kids here. Now, I can 
could see an example where that that to me is art. It's what's wonderfully put together. It's beautiful music. The lyrics are intelligent. You know, it's good stuff. If they then took the next step to say, I want to kill myself right now with this ice pick because I'm staring right at the ice pick and it's in my hand. I want you to kill yourselves with an ice pick too. When you hear this song, take that ice pick in your hand. Ooh, yeah, yeah, ice picks, ice picks, kill us all, you know, stab it in her head. Then all of a sudden you've gone from art to being an obvious screed and it's become one, not just irresponsible, but not art. If, on the other hand, someone listens to the song I just gave you and they're like, wow, that person's really depressed about life. I should also be depressed about life and should kill myself. No, I don't think that that's the fault of the artist and I don't think that's a case where by targeting a smaller audience they're doing their job. You could make the argument that they targeted a larger group of people to wake them up to the situation that exists and to make them think, wow, this is an example of something where I need to do something not to let this world continue in the way that it's continuing. I need to make a change. You know, and and so to me, it being art, that means that people who misinterpret art are not the fault of the artist. If you go a step further to try to solicit people to, you know, judge your art badly, then you've gone away from it being art and it's become that screed, that diatribe that I mentioned before. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't know that I agree that it's not the fault of the artist if people misinterpret the art, especially if you have a really widely represented group of people misrepresenting or misinterpreting the art. I mean, if you're, you know, if you create a painting that makes people, you know, and you can create it based out of your own personal experience and it represents like the saddest moment of your life. But then if people look at that and think that there's no meaning to life because of what you've created on your canvas and it just, you know, crystallizes for them that the universe is an empty shell and no one will love them and they decide to kill themselves, like that's something that, you know, you might have to think about whether that's your fault. Mm, I don't, Even if I it's don't only agree. 20% of the people who I don't agree it. with that at all. I, th- I, think at the, I think at the point when you put it out there, the level of communication, because that's basically, at that point, Russ, that's a never-ending cycle. I mean, somebody watches one of your comedy routines, and they re- watch your comedy routines and go, wow, that's not satire. That's someone being hateful to, you know, given group. I should go out and be hateful to them, too. Kill them and then kill myself because he did that. That's your fault? Yeah. How is that your fault? But you know what? That's crazy. If- if thousands of people had the same exact reaction, I would really have to analyze, like, what the hell am I putting out there that's causing this reaction? Absolutely. I mean, I just, yeah, I it's happened a hard before. question. Haven't we seen, like, a, a million examples of artists who no longer wanted to be famous because they saw the effect that they were having on people and turning them into these mindless zombie fans and they couldn't stand the reactions and they didn't want to be famous no, anymore? Isn't this, no, like, a really common No, thing? I think the commonality is that they didn't want to be famous because no. they were tired of the publicity and they were tired of having people, you know, follow them around and take pictures of them in restaurants. But I think there's almost... I think you could count on the fingers of one hand the number of artists who, you know, voluntarily withdrew from society and from artistic production because they said my art is too dangerous for the world to see. I mean, I, I just I don't think that's true at all. I think that most of the time here's the thing. Or what if it just elicited the wrong interpretation? Like people interpret it in a way that the artist didn't want and that you know made them think certain things or act in certain ways that the artist would never have supported. And so because of that they don't want to be famous anymore. Well, I don't th- I think there are very few artists that fit that description though. I think most artists will say, like the Collective Soul example. The artist, you know, Collective Soul, whatever, or whatever the song was that the guy, the Virginia Tech shooting kid used that, that song that he really liked. And they came out with that statement saying, we don't condone this and we're sorry that he used this. You know, should they sit there and go, wow, he used our example. Wow, we need to leak, leave art immediately. No. Especially when the song that he was using was being blatantly misinterpreted. Because that's the other problem, Russ. That doesn't account allow for misinterpretation, right? What if somebody reads your, your book, which is well, a classic example, Mark Twain, Huckleberry great, Finn. That's a good argument. Somebody reads Huckleberry Finn and they read it and they think, wow, this is an incredibly 
racist book. I can't believe it. I can't stand it. This is awful. My kids shouldn't be allowed to read it. They are missing out on one of the most virulently anti-racist books in the English language. Huckleberry Finn is one of the most anti-racist books that exists. I think that's a reason why that's a very good reason to not want to publish your works to a widespread no, that's audience. that's the worst reason. you know for a fact that your audience that's the worst is ignorant and that they're going to misinterpret things and take it the wrong way, then you don't want to give them that but opportunity. How can you, how do you, do you know that ahead like of time? That. And also, Honestly. you're taking it away from the people that would interpret it properly and could use it for positive change. That's the worst thing you could do. That's writing well, for the lowest common denominator. You should try really hard so it's all just Barty books? Maybe in that case, you should try really hard to specifically tailor your audience. To, to people who won't be viewing this as racist? <laughs> what? <laughs> if you are racist, yeah. don't read this book. I mean, that's basically... So your argument basically is that everything should be personal correspondence. That you exactly. should only tailor it to an audience that you can know inside and out. Exactly. To the point where, you know, you can predict their response. Like, we should be releasing the MEP no, report. We should release strong. the MEP report to us. I'm like, saying. Just us. If people <laughs> start listening it's only to the available MEP report, via personal email. Right. If you, murdering people one after the exactly. other indiscriminately for no reason, I would absolutely have questions about whether we should continue recording MEP reports. That's all I'm Yeah, saying. but rest is... I, I wouldn't be like, well, I don't think anyone an But these hypotheticals are ridiculous, though. They never ha- this never I'm happens, keep doing though. doing the MEP report. But this never happens. These hypotheticals you're talking about don't happen sure in this way. When do they happen? When's the last time, the time someone listened Greg. to a MEP report and indiscriminately went out and murdered people? When did that happen? Well, obviously not the MEP report, <laughs> because we haven't really been given a chance to have this effect on the wider audience just okay. yet. But many, many times this has happened. Just about any, you know, the guy who shot... Uh, Lenin, who quoted Salinger. And That's all that one guy. And Did thousands of people go out and use Lenin's too. thing to start shooting people, though? Or start using Salinger's book to start shooting Lenin? Or the, or the kid who took his class hostage because he read Stephen King's Rage. Yes, and how many people or, read Rage you know, and did that? similar examples. How many people did that, though? See, this is the A lot. Rage, Rage was also a foundational literature for the Columbine kids. Like, they read that, too. I think, like, you know, one out of three people who read it uh, took over, uh, took a hostage <laughs> or kidnapped or shot somebody. See, that's the problem, Russ. It's <laughs> a numbers game. They're relying, I mean, you're relying on your rationality. One million hostage-taking yeah. the year. I mean, you're out. relying on irrationality, <laughs> yeah, right? I and think. the number of people... Also, I would say, too, this, this is the same argument, as I've always said, as claiming that we should somehow ban Monopoly because of all the junk bond traders in the 80s. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like, if people were going to do this kind of stuff, they were going to do it because they were disturbed to begin with. And if they didn't find your book, they would have found another one. If your book is not actively promoting things in this way for you to claim that your book or your comedy show is doing it is silly maybe newt gingrich you know became came into power and drove the republican congress and the new conservative movement of the last 15 years because of ayn rand or because of some you know because of some ideology or some piece of some specific piece of artwork that's caused it like that could very well be true. I think the number of people that were actually, you know, affected in some way to do this, I just think that number is extremely small. I think those kinds of people are likely to have done that kind of stuff anyway. Essentially, what you're assuming is that you can, as Story said, it has to be personal correspondence because otherwise you have to rely on the irrationality of other people. And you have to assume that anyone who picks up your book could be a serial killer, and thus you must write nothing that could set the serial killer off. And I mean, that's just absurd. Like, you know, a serial killer is going to look until they find signs and symbols. I mean, for God's sake, Son of Sam thought his dog was telling him to kill people. I hardly think we should ban dogs and cats on the principle that, theoretically, one of those dogs and cats could convince someone to kill someone else. Well, maybe dogs. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But no, I mean, like, <laughs> but it's a number, you know, the problem is, this, as Story said, it's really well, kind of a numbers game. If, if you have ten people who listen to an album out of six quadrillion of them, and those ten people decide to make a suicide pact because of what they heard in the album, they would have heard it in some album 
album eventually. The issue was not with the album. The issue was with themselves, with their environment, with their surroundings, not the album itself. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I don't think that I have to say under this that I'm never going to write anything because of the potential for these horrible things to happen. I think all I have to say is that when horrible things start happening right and left, I absolutely should call into question what I'm putting out there as an artist. That is a different subject. I seem to be responsible for it. Even if true, Russ, that is a different subject than what you began with, which is, should I specifically target this at a small group of people? And the answer, as Story said, is you don't know. You don't know whether people are going to react in this way. Well... And the reason that this doesn't happen more often is because the more harmful people, the people who are putting out the, the bad philosophy, the bad art, the art that's causing people to act harmfully towards each other, they do it intentionally, and they don't have any idea that they're creating bad art. They don't have any idea that they're creating the secret DVD, which is going to cause people to sit inside their house and wish for a new car instead of trying to make the world a better place. <laughs> they think they're actually helping people. So because of that, you know, they're not going to specifically tailor to their audience when they should. Yeah, well, I mean, but they I do think we've gone maybe a step farther with the secret, you know, unless unless you play secret backwards and it tells you to, I don't know, stab things in your neck after you've ordered them from Amazon. No, honestly, like, I don't only think that it's a bunch of scam artists just trying to repackage Power of Prayer stuff into a new AG format, which it is. Do you think there's a I conscious attempt? Because but do you think that there are people who are consciously attempting to, to make people do harmful things to themselves? They're like, I want to do this so that people will go out and no. hurt themselves? Because those people no, tend to I make think, lousy no, artists. It's more un, I think it's more, unwitting, it's more unwitting stupidity. It's just, we're going to convince people to wish for materialistic things and tell them that that is the nature of the but universe. But as I say... Is to sit in a cave and wish for materialistic Russ, things. It's, like, this is right. how we're going to help people. But Russ, it's, I think that's really stupid and fucked up. But it's very... And they don't know but, it, And they're harming people. But it's very hard to be unwittingly stupid and be a good artist. It's very hard. I'd like to think of myself as a good artist, and I don't think I'm unwittingly stupid. And I think most unwittingly stupid people don't think of themselves well, as great artists or aren't capable of it. I mean, and, you know. And you know what, Greg? You know, you and I can agree that The Secret is not a piece of art, but it is the number one DVD on Amazon, and it is the most popular self-help book ever I would written. also point out so that it's a self-help. That's obviously up for interpretation. It's also, a non it's also theoretically a non-fiction thing, which is literally a self-help do-this book, as opposed to a book which is like Ayn Rand, a work of art, separate from its political message right yeah but uh, you know what i think self-help is just a way to package it to say yes this is not scientifically accurate because we don't know what we're talking about <laughs> and it's not fiction because we're pretending and now it's to being know mocked the in a comedy like. show so we have to call it so we called them out we're fine yeah. we called them out dude so we have to call it self-help yeah well like they don't have any choice i mean as we've described these are a bunch of quasi non-scientists who keep telling us about the nature of the universe even though as is quoted in my spoof video nobody knows what electricity is do you know what electricity is nobody knows what i it don't is, know what it is but it works therefore you should accept it just like everything i tell you you should accept because you don't know a lot of things you oh you drive your car could you build a car no but you drive yeah. it therefore listen to everything i say and buy this like come you're on. not backlashes that will is happen so too therefore so I, ronald reagan was god and i have the correct ideology exactly for no do you know electricity? It's like, I know it's Reagan. Like divide by zero. It's like your old divide by zero thing, and it's just like if you divide by zero, then <laughs> exactly you yeah, blow up. Whatever you want for reality instead, because everything is at the window. Because divide by so, zero. I, and you know what? It, that that might be why I accused Oprah of you know talking down to the masses and of having sort of a lowbrow mentality because the secret specifically does have this very lowbrow mentality well, yeah. and it targets idiots. She also it's puts Steinbeck in there though. Exactly. It's not all good. Idiots. She puts, 
It's like got some bad stuff idiots, on there. Come hither. Look at this. We're gonna save you, desperate idiots. You just have to have a perfect picture in your mind of a candy cane, and you'll have all the candy canes you ever yeah, want. Yeah, but the like, sound of the fury is not on. like that. I, I do want to say, actually, we're coming close to the end, but I wanted to mention because I just got this email from the Brandeis debate list, and they basically are listing a casting call for Paramount Pictures' The Great Debaters. It's about these debaters in Harvard, 1935. It's directed by Denzel Washington. Guess who's oh, Guess wow. who's producing it? Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> You just can't make oh, it Jesus. up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. oh, that's tremendous. You can. Put it on the board, <laughs> yes. So, guys, we've come to the end of another hour, believe it or not, after this very engaging discussion. Yes, this is have. fun. We've, we've learned about the masses. We've learned about people who... I think I have one label for this show. I think I have one. It is. This is a big label. <laughs> how do we interpret art? Question mark. That's we hope it. none of you out there. That's how, how do we interpret art? We hope art. none of you will hear That's this. Sixty minutes. One. Second. And want to stab something in your neck. Please don't. That wasn't our intention. If it is, we'll pull it. We don't want yeah, to do that. Seriously. Please don't do that. Do not Just tell laugh. anyone. This is a disclaimer. Just laugh at we people. We are not influencing anyone to commit suicide. And tell all your friends. Share this with your friends. Listen to the There's map report. No one we don't want. Listen to, to the this. map report forever <laughs> and ever. And ever. So if, if you feel the need to depopulate the world, then you know that's <laughs> Say fine. Say goodbye for under a certain. We'll period. see you guys next week. Say goodbye, everybody. Malthus was right, man. Can't keep going. <laughs> no, do not interpret. Do Russia not interpret Russ's comments. Russ's comments. Good. Even the if map you have a good thing. Do not give oh, life is good. good. <laughs> we do not endorse nor contradict, Mr. Weasel. <laughs> <laughs> The proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron. Or at least not the stupid ones of ours. Please support the MEP Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for MEP link on the MEP Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Just another day away.